All right. Is anybody excited about this morning? I get excited about Sunday mornings, even when I'm not speaking. I just love to get together with people that love Jesus. There is just something special about coming together with people that love Jesus and getting charged up to go back out during the week and love people in the name of Jesus, right? Well, if you would, if you've got your iPad, your phone, paper Bible, you'd like to turn and follow along with me. We're going to be in Luke 19 this morning. If you don't have any of those, it's okay. We're going to have the scriptures right up here on the, on the screen for you. And as you're, you're turning over to Luke 19, let me tell you a, a little story. There was, uh, there was a, a bar. Oh my gosh, you started off with bars. We're already in trouble, aren't we? There was a bar that had a bartender, and he was a huge man, just a big man. And they were, the, the owner of the bar was so um, sure that his bartender was the strongest man around that he had a standing bet that his bartender could take a lemon and squeeze every ounce of juice out of it. And that anybody else that could come and take that lemon and squeeze one more ounce of, one more drop of juice out of it, they'd win $1,000. Now, a lot of people had come in, a lot of manly men had come in and they had tried this. They had taken this guy up on this bed and they had, had, they had all lost. But then one day, this tiny little man came in, kind of a scrawny little man and kind of a squeaky little voice. He said, I'd like to try the bet. And the bartender kind of laughed, but he said, okay. So he reached over, cut a lemon in half, took it, and he just squeezed in that massive hand of his, just squeezed and squeezed and squeezed. And every bit of juice had come out of that, and he threw it down on the bar, and it was just a wrinkled rind of nothing. And the little man picked it up, he took it, and he began to squeeze. And six drops came out of that. The whole bar was just astounded. They, are, they, they erupted in, in uh, applause for this man who had done what no one else could do. And the bartender, shocked, turned around, took $1,000 out of the register, turned to give it to the man. He said, what do you do for a living? And the man said, I work for the IRS. Thought that was appropriate, number one, because uh, tax day is next week, right? But also because we're going to be looking, we're going to be looking at a story. Our lesson today centers around a tax collector named Zacchaeus. So we've been in a series called Neighbors, and we kicked off the, the series with the story of Jesus reaching out to the ultimate outcast, the woman at the well. I got to preach that one. I love that story. If, if you haven't heard these lessons, you can always go to ncctyler.org and listen to past lessons. Just pull it up there. But we saw Jesus reaching out to this outcast at the well, changed her life, and she went back into town and started a revival in the town. Other people came to know Jesus because of her. We also heard the story of uh, loving our neighbors by getting involved in their hurting lives, just like the Good Samaritan, right? 
And uh, we also learned that the only reason that my youngest daughter is in ministry is because she wasn't good in school. <laughs> so if you remember that, she, she told everybody from the platform that, that uh, the reason she was in ministry is because she wasn't good in school. I would tend to say the reason you have all those tattoos is because you weren't good in school. Oh, she's not here. Hey, she is being awesome this morning. You know what she's doing this morning? She has got a group of people from this church out doing outreach right now. Out doing the, the last laundromat outreach over there, loving people in the name of Jesus, paying for their laundry, handing them donuts, engaging them in a Jesus conversation, not out there to tell people how bad they are, but to tell people what's right with them to tell people how they can have this relationship with a God that loves them. I am so proud of her, everything she's done. I know I pick on her and make fun of her, but she says dumb things at times. So. And I do too, and that's the reason people make fun of me. <laughs> so, um, are you there in Luke 19? Okay. Today we're going to see how even those who seem to have everything together still really have nothing without Jesus. In Luke 19, verse 2, it says there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was very rich. He had an enviable job. He had an enviable life. He was somebody of importance in Jericho. He was somebody that if there was something big that was going to go on, guess what? They would ask his opinion. He was the one that people would go to if they were in trouble. He was probably pretty close to being like a mob boss in, in Jericho. But he was somebody that had an enviable lifestyle. Now, I don't know, if, for those of you that, that are old enough to remember this, back in the mid-80s to about the mid-90s, there was a show called The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anybody remember that? Yeah. All the, us really old people. <laughs> Nobody else. I'm not old enough to remember that. Uh, so this was what his life was like. For those of you that don't know that show, maybe uh, MTV Cribs, you remember something like that. You are so, see, I should have said that one first, right? He was so important. He was living this life. People wanted to know him. People wanted to see him. On the outside, it looked like he had everything together. Not everybody has outwardly big problems. See, we look at people and we think, well, if I can just find somebody that is struggling with this, if I can just find somebody that's, that's battling that, man, that's somebody that needs Jesus. And we forget about people that look like they've got it all together because you know what? They can have a good job but still need Jesus. They can have a good marriage but still need Jesus. They can live on your street, build an addition onto their house, then they can turn around and buy a, an RV bus, not an RV, but a bus, and take a whole year off to travel around the country just because they can. And then when they get back from traveling around the country, they begin to build a brand new three-car garage to put their Corvettes in. And all you want is to be able to fix that stupid garage door of yours that's been hanging off for a year. Now, this is totally a made-up story. Don't act like this is... I'm not talking about myself, okay? Not talking this... Hey, 
All the names have been changed to protect the innocent. But this guy, this, this, this guy I just made up, he needs Jesus. It looks like on the outside that he has everything that he needs, everything that he wants. But you know what? I've had conversations with him. He needs Jesus. He needs Jesus. And we need to begin to, to remember that just because somebody is not a drug addict, just because somebody is not vis visibly broken, does not mean that they don't need an encounter with Jesus. So that's what we're talking about this morning. Zacchaeus didn't seem to have any problems, but verse 3 says, out of Luke 19, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. He was trying to see who Jesus was. Now, we're going to just quickly go through this story, and there's a few things that I want you to see from the life of Zacchaeus. And the first thing is, people want to see Jesus. People want to see Jesus. Ecclesiastes 3.11, out of the Amplified Version, says, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose, into the, into the human heart. A mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. There is something in every human that God has created, a longing to connect with God. It's already there. They want to see Jesus, whether they really recognize that it's Jesus they want to see. They know that something is missing in their heart and in their life. They're spiritual people. They really are spiritual people. We tend to think that everybody that doesn't show up to church every Sunday morning, something's wrong with them. They're just all a bunch of heathens, right? But they're spiritual people. You can turn on a television and look at how many programs are, ooh, I saw a ghost, right? They're looking for something spiritual. They're looking for something to tell them that there's life beyond this mortal plane. They're looking for something. They just don't know it's Jesus yet. Well, guess what? we get to introduce them to what they're looking for, right? Okay, that, that was so overwhelming that you got, woo-hoo, yeah, all right. Hmm. Don't believe the lie that they don't want to know about Jesus. Even if they tell you they don't want to know about Jesus. Don't believe the lie. I was, I was talking to a, a friend a couple, of, a couple of weeks ago, and this is a man, he, he just loves to, to tell people about Jesus. He just loves to witness, carries around uh, those old tracks in his pocket all the time. He's always telling somebody about Jesus. And he was telling me about a trip that he took over to the Netherlands. And he had to get in a cab to ride somewhere. And he just began to, to speak to the, to the cab driver. And he just began to ask the lady about her spiritual life. And she said, oh, I don't, I don't believe in religion. And he goes, well, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about Jesus. And she said, well, I don't believe in Jesus either. And he said, well, what a shame, because he absolutely believes in you. And he has a purpose and a plan for your life. He created you with a plan and a purpose. And he said, this woman's eyes just begin to fill up with tears. Saying she doesn't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm an atheist. 
But the moment you begin to hit, the moment you begin to share destiny, the moment you begin to share life, she was, she was captured. She was caught. That's who we are. She didn't look like she needed anybody. She's just going to drive him somewhere. You get in a cab, you ride. I don't want to talk to the cab driver. You go somewhere, you get out. Right? But he took the opportunity to share Jesus. And even though she said she didn't believe, didn't want to believe, she did. Jesus is irresistible when people can truly see him. So back to Luke 19, verse 3. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. Here's our second point. We need to make sure that we aren't in the way. We need to make sure that we aren't in the way. We would never intentionally keep people from seeing Jesus but sometimes our actions or lack of actions do just that. And I got four just real, just real quick right here. Four ways that we, and when I'm saying we, please understand, just because I'm standing on the platform doesn't mean that this doesn't ring true with me as well. Four ways that we unintentionally keep people from seeing Jesus. One is a lack of spiritual passion a lack of spiritual passion. The problem is we're not passionate about our own spiritual growth. And when we're that way, we won't be passionate about living Jesus in front of people. And you've probably heard this before because I've heard it for years, but if the only Jesus that people are ever going to see is the Jesus in you, what are they going to see? We need to be passionate about us growing spiritually. Yeah, but you just don't understand what's going on in my life. Do you want your life to change? Do you want whatever's going, in your going on in your life to change? Well, then you're headed in the right direction. Don't fall for that lie. Well, if I just knew more of the Bible, if I just knew this, if I just prayed more, then I would be passionate about Jesus. Look, I don't care who it was. Even the apostle Paul probably could have prayed more. Could have known the word more. Could have been more passionate. We all have places that we need to grow up in. We all do, but don't let that be the opportunity to not be the answer to somebody's hurt and brokenness. Because the best way to get out of your hurt and brokenness is to turn and to begin to love somebody else. Begin to show Jesus to somebody else. Number two is our busy lifestyle. Our busy lifestyle. Now, how can that, how can that keep people from, from seeing Jesus? Because we're so busy that we don't stop and take the opportunity, or we don't even think about the opportunity. I'm just so busy. I've got so many things going on. There was a lady that I knew a few years ago when her, her kids were small, and she showed me her... her uh, her calendar, things that she did with her kids every, it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. And one day they had musical instrument lessons. Then the next day they had voice lessons. Then the next day they had acting lessons. 
Then the next day, they had some kind of sporting event that they would go to. It was like every day. And she was so busy and she was so worn out and she couldn't get anything else done but, but take care of her kids, run them here, there, and everywhere. And they were so busy and so tired. And I just looked at her one day and I said, but how are you doing with your walk with the Lord? And it was shocking to her because she wasn't talking to me as a pastor. This is actually back when I owned the media studio and she was sitting in the edit booth with me. Now, I could have in my heart said, you know what, this lady's paying me more money than I'm worth to be doing this. But I took the opportunity because I could hear the cry of her heart. We're never too busy. We're ne if, if it had turned into an hour-long conversation with her, guess what? I just wouldn't have charged her for that hour. And we really need to, to, to understand in our heart, if we're too busy to live for Jesus, then we may be fooling ourselves that he lives in us. Because when he lives in us, you can't help. It comes out sometimes. You don't have to ask me too much to, about my granddaughter back there in the nursery to get a big smile on my face. Ah, oh, she's cute. That's a pretty little girl right there. Six months old and she loves her pops. Why? Because I love her. She didn't have to do anything. I just love her. Just pick her up, just squeeze her. She, threw, she, she spit up this morning and almost got it on me. I said, don't throw up on pops on the day he's preaching, okay? But I love her. You don't, you don't have, it, it doesn't take much to get me to talk about her because I love her. You know what? I love the relationship that I have with the Lord. It doesn't take much to get me to talk about it. Not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm a kid. I'm one of God's kids. I'm one of his children. I'm one of his redeemed ones. So I want to talk about it. And we, should, we should be that way. We really should be that way. Number three, our fear of rejection. Our fear of rejection. I read an article a few weeks ago. And the research in this article showed that only one in four, one in four people were resistant to a conversation about faith. One in four, only one in four were resistant to a conversation about faith. The same article went on to say that 40% that of people were receptive to a genuine concern about their eternal future. And another 33% were neutral to the concern. In other words, yeah, I'm okay. You want, I'm okay that you ask me that. So let, let me spell this out for the Aggies in the room. At 75%, that's 75% that are open to a spiritual conversation. 75% of the people that you run into are going to be open to a spiritual conversation. And almost the same number are, are okay with our genuine concern about them. The fear of rejection is an unfounded excuse for not living in obedience to God's command. It's unfounded. Oh, they don't want to hear what I have to say. 
I'm afraid, I'm afraid that they'll get angry with me. But 75% won't. The other 25, they've probably got hurts and they're just not ready yet. You put them on the back burner. But keep going forward. 75% of the people that, that you talk to will be open to the conversation. And number four is our failure to invite. Now, all of this kind of adds up to because of, because of our lack of spiritual passion, because of our busy lifestyle, because of fear of rejection, we come to a place where we just don't invite. Now, listen to this statistic. 75, I mean 85, for every 85 church members in America, for every 85 church members in America, only one person will come to Christ this year. For every 85 church people, church members, only one person will come to Christ. So in a church our size, just using us as an example, we would only see two to three people saved a year. That's not good enough. That's not the heart of God. Don't be an obstacle to people seeing Jesus. Be the catalyst to their knowing his love because we've, we've, we've beat this one. 82% of the people that you invite to church will come with you. We're trying to remove obstacles. We're trying to remove fear and let you know people really are looking to see Jesus. Now, going back to Luke, verses 3 and 4, Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Here's, here's your third point, third point. Look for people in trees. <laughs> I'm serious. Look for people in trees. Keep your eyes open for those who are already making an effort. Zacchaeus seemed like he had everything together, but he was looking to see Jesus so much so he climbed up a tree. So much so he climbed up a tree. Look for people that are easy pickings. Look for opportunities that are easy. The, the, the cable guy came to my house yesterday. He just came to mess with my cable. But you know what? He got invited to church. Why? He was in my house. I don't care what he thinks. It's my house. I didn't even realize I was wearing one of my uh, I love my church t-shirts. I had that on. And I just started talking about church, started talking about his family, asking how long you've been married, how many kids he has. People like to talk about themselves. You afraid to start a conversation? Ask them about themselves. People like to talk about themselves. So we started this conversation about him, about his family, about his kids. And then we found out that they weren't in church. Hey, why don't you come to church? Next week's Easter. If you're interested, I didn't make it weird. He, and he didn't, you know, crawl underneath the couch or anything like that either. We just had a nice little conversation. He even gave me his card when he left. So look for people in 
trees. John 4.35 says, Do not say there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white for harvest. They are white for harvest. What was Jesus telling his disciples? Don't sit around and say, hey, one of these days, one of these days we'll love people. One of these days we'll tell people. One of these days people will be ready to know you. Now Jesus was saying, hey, look, there are people already. Just have to have somebody. Because he went on to say, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the harvest. Into the harvest, that was a V, not a B. Harvest. Harvest. Don't say, hey, we got time. Don't say, hey, one of these days. Say, it's already there. It's already ready. If you will look to God to show you the people who are ready, he'll do it. He will absolutely do it. Now back into Luke, Luke, uh, Luke 19, verses 5 and 6. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your home. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. He received him gladly. Fourth point, Jesus knew his name. Jesus knew his name. Before we even come to Jesus, he already knows us intimately. Our true identity and true purpose in life can only be found in him. And as kingdom representatives, we've got to be willing to know them. We've got to be willing to know people. Jesus knew his name. Jesus called him by name. And there was a day in my life when Jesus called me by name. He called me by name. Jesus ends this story with a statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let me dispel some myths. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. I did not come to pat and pamper those that are already in the family. That's what we think. That, we, we think that's all Jesus is here to do sometimes. Just come make me feel better about me. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. So to be a part of what Jesus is doing, to be a part of the, of the kingdom that Jesus is building, we have to be about seeking and saving the lost. And we make it so very, very easy. We really do. All we ask of you is invite. Invite somebody. Invite somebody for next week. Invite somebody to come to a place where you know that they are going to hear the message of Jesus and they're going to be given an opportunity to know him. That's all that we ask. You know, next Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the Bible does not say, but I hope that when, when the father turns to Jesus and says, hey, go get my kids, I hope it's on Easter. How fitting would that be? 
But next week, we're going to celebrate what Jesus did for us. But right now, we're going to do something that, that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We're going to take communion. And if you guys would go ahead and begin to, to pass out the, 